Thank you for listening to Elohim Christian Church's podcast. We're a place where imperfect people worship and meet a perfect God. If this is your first time listening, we're located in Richmond Hill in Queens, New York City, and are led by pastors Carlos and Rebecca Medina. If you're looking for a place to worship and to know Jesus, we would love to meet you and see you in person. Find us online at www.elohimchurch.org so we can connect. And now, here's this week's message. church. The objective of this teaching is to identify a spirit-empowered church and also understand our responsibility within a church that is spirit-empowered, right? Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenistic arose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in the day of distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will, appoint, who will be appointed to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they choose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, uh, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, a spirit-empowered church. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord, for it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is a compass for us. It leads us. It awakens things within our hearts. It confronts us when we are not right, Lord God. I pray that your word this morning would, would speak to us as a church, would speak to us as a church, Lord, that we recognize what you are doing in us and how much we need your leading and your spirit and your empowerment and your vision to always lead and direct us in every season of ministry, we pray. And we thank you, God, for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our theme this year has been a spirit-empowered church. Uh, throughout the month of January, we shared the theme earlier, um, sharing the theme on Fridays. We are studying the book of Acts, and today I want to give it uh, one more thought. And I want to speak to us as a church family, holistically, as one church family. So when we look at, at the book of Acts leading to chapter 6, we see so many great things happening in chapter 1. It's the prophetic proclamation of Jesus that the day of Pentecost would occur. In chapter 2, we have Pentecost. Uh, the Holy Spirit descends on the church and the empowerment of the church for what? For the commissioning or for faithfulness to the mission of the great commissioning. Uh, Jesus told the disciples that, that uh, they're called to what? To, to baptize, to preach. Uh, he calls them to the great commission. Um, and then here in chapter 2, there is an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the great commission. And here now... The church is filled with the power of God. The Holy Spirit is upon the church. In chapter 3, we see the ministry of the church beginning to function. And we see, if you were here on Friday, you heard about it, healing of a lame man and a bold proclamation of Jesus. 
Happened in chapter 3. In chapter 4, if you come this Friday, you'll hear about it. It's Peter and John before the council, and they're told not to preach, but they make another bold proclamation, and they say, we will obey God over man. And in chapter 4, there is an incredible experience where the church gather together and pray, uh, and God shakes the place in which they were praying. In chapter 5, there is another demonstration of the power of God and Ananias and Sapphira. Their lives are taken because of their lie to the disciples. And in chapter 5, we see signs and wonders are done. Uh, In fact, they would lay the sick people on the streets, hoping that the shadows of the apostles would come over them for healing. So this is the first century church, right? Chapter 1, Jesus makes his proclamation. Chapter 2, the Spirit of God comes upon the church. Chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, we see expansion of the church. We see growth. We see the move of the Holy Spirit. We see miracles, and we see wonders, and we see proclamation, bold proclamations. We see persecution, but the church is on fire for God, and it is growing. Now we're at chapter 6. Chapter 6, we read to you, so now um, growth is bringing challenges and is bringing changes. And we see in chapter 6 that the Spirit of Power Church is achieving ministry and the church was growing. But there were also challenges. Decisions needed to be made. And it wasn't just the 12 no more. It wasn't just 120 in the upper room anymore. It had become thousands of disciples. More leadership was necessary. The need, for, um, the need within the community was obvious. Planning and vision casting had become essential to the first century church. It was a great time for the church. It was a high time. The spirit-empowered first century church was enjoying a beautiful season. And there is so much So much that we today can learn from this chapter as they enjoyed this time of growth and God moving. So looking at these seven verses, I have separated five points, five observations that I want to share with you this morning. And the church says, the first one is, a spirit-empowered church responds to need. A spirit-empowered church responds to need. We see here the distribution of food to those who had need. There was need within the community. There was need within the church, uh, especially taking care of the widows, which caused a problem. There was three different type of widows there. Uh, there was there was widows from native. There were native Jews from Judea. There was widows that were Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. There was there was widows there who were Jew who were Jews who had lived among the Greeks, and and there was a sense of hey, we're not being treated fairly here. There was a sense of favoritism. And there was a complaint brought to the disciples, and the disciples are like, hey, uh, listen, uh, we can't handle this and, and preach and teach and study, so let us choose from us, among you, choose seven men full of wisdom and the Spirit of God. And I love that the church, that the apostles teach us, you know, let the people empower others, let the people um, appoint their leaders, and and they chose seven men, and then it was ratified by by the apostles, it was ratified uh, by the disciples, and they said, yeah, these are good seven men that you have chosen, and these seven men begin to lead in the need that is found within the church. A spirit-empowered church must understand and recognize that it is called to meet the needs of a community. You see, the community belongs to the church, 
and the church belongs to the community. Right? The church belongs to this community, and the community belongs to the church, and it must come together to serve its need. Not only the community of Richmond Hill, but your community at your job, your community in your neighborhood, your community in the building that you live in, in the place that you work, that, that's your community. And as the body of Christ, that, that we are individually, yes, collectively as well, but individually, we're called to meet the needs around our community. A spirit-empowered church responds to needs. If we think that it's just about coming to church and enjoying this wonderful faith that we have just for ourselves, well, the Lord wants to encourage us and speak to us this morning and remind us that he has put his spirit within us that we can, what, reach the needs of those around us. Every call in scripture is based on need. God calls people based on need. I love the story of Moses. I've preached on it so many times. I love the story of Moses, but I love the call of Moses of the burning bush. I love that God calls them because there is a need. In fact, he calls them to the meeting from the burning bush to speak to him and call him because of a need. And I love that in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, it says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned for their sufferings. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way Egyptians are oppressing them. And God tells Moses, I'm calling you here. Not because you're the most gifted guy, but I'm calling you because there's a need. When God calls Peter, when Jesus calls Peter in Luke chapter 5, and he looks at him and he tells him, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. In particular, need. When God calls Saul, Paul, on his way to Damascus, the Bible is clear and tells, him, uh, uh, and tells Ananias to tell Paul, Saul, hey, I'm calling him to reach the Greeks the Gentiles. There's a call. I want to let you know that there's a call upon your life and there's a call upon my life. Why? Because there is a need in the community that we find ourselves. And that should encourage us to know God is calling me. Doesn't he know my, my weaknesses, my vulnerabilities? Doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he know how I, I'm capable of failing at everything that's put in my hands? And, and God is an expert at calling vulnerable people to use them for his glory. And when he uses them, we can never say, wow, look at what I accomplished. We can never say that because we know who we really are. And it's strictly by the grace of God that he uses us to meet the needs of those around us. And the church says, today the church, I call, I call the church collectively, but I call us individually as well. Today the church, we are surrounded by need. We have a community that is lost without Christ. That is the need that is found. And we're a spirit-empowered church. You are a spirit-empowered church. We are a spirit-empowered church. And there is a need, a, a lost community that is found around us. And I love that Peter writes in 2 Peter, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It shows us the heart of God. And it reminds us that there is a need within our community. And God is patient with time, and he's patient with individuals. Thank God he's been patient with some of us, right? God's been patient. If it wasn't for God's patience, we would be lost and broken, and we would be stuck in our addictions, and we would, be broken, we would have broken homes. But he's been patient with us, waiting for us to come around to find him 
and enjoy what he has called us for. We must understand as a spirit-empowered church, there's a lost community. And we must grab on to this call of reconciliation that the Apostle Paul reminds us that Jesus has called us into this ministry of reconciliation to draw broken people back to God. It is the call of the church. It is the call upon our lives, the church says. Right? We see people in need of Christ, but we also see people being treated unfairly. We see social injustices. It's the call of the church to stand up for those that cannot then defend themselves and, and say, hey, how, how can we be a part of that? How can we help? How can we stand knowing that all people are equal before God, regardless from where they come from, regardless of what their legal status is, regardless of their circumstance, all people are equal before God. And the church is called to treat people fairly. That is the call of the church. The empowered church understands that all people, and I love that Paul writes in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for you are all one in Christ. To remind us to us that everybody matters. Everybody matters. Everybody is important to God. This is the call of the spirit-empowered church to reach a lost community, to treat people fairly, to remember what, that they're broken families, people in need, children in need of mentors, people who need to be released from drug addictions. And the list is long and goes on and on and on and on. And the church must remember that our place is not to be good religious Christians, but we're called to embrace our call, which is to be spirit-empowered and function in this call for the glory of the Father and the blessing of the church. As the church, our job is to respond to the need, to respond to the need. I want to say, um, this week, our church, a few of our church families have had some needs. Some of you who are, who are involved in the needs, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. And I love that our church people responded to those needs. They went to visit homes. They went to visit hospitals. They went to go pray for people. They went to go pick up children. They, they're just responding to the need. And as pastors, we want to say that we're just so proud and honored to be able to journey this life with you. Because you have responded to the need. God functions through the church, through people, through us. That's what the call is about. That's what being spirit-empowered is about. This is what the, the church is supposed to do, and we learn it from Jesus because that is what Jesus did. And I love that Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Oh, as he, well, what, what, entrusting us with this great call, as he has sent, as the Father has sent him, he is sending us. How do we as a church respond to this? What is our response? What can we take away from this point today, right now? What can we kind of apply to our lives tomorrow morning, right? Um, uh, how do we respond as a church to this, a spirit-empowered church? What should we do? I want to share with you just four things real fast. A spirit-empowered church um, should pray this prayer, and you'll see it on the screen. Should pray this prayer. Four things. Lord, position us in a place. That should be our prayer in the morning. Lord, position me in a place where, as a spirit-empowered church that I am, position me in a place where I can serve somebody. That we will not just pray in the prayer, Lord, direct me, lead me, protect me, help me, bless my food, supply for me today, keep my children safe. All that is good. But can we include in there a prayer that says, position me in a place today where I can serve somebody. 
Use me today, Lord. That that could be a part of our prayer. How about this part of our prayer? Give us discernment, Lord, to where we can serve and how we can be a blessing. Not every need is one we're called to respond to. And not every need is genuine. We, we must be transparent with this. Not every need is genuine, and not every need we're called to respond to. So we need a spirit of discernment to know this is what God is calling me for right now. This is my assignment for the moment. So we must pray that prayer in the morning. Number three, we can say, give us passion for the things that are in your heart. Give us passion for the things that are in your heart, God. Lead us as a spirit-empowered church, as spirit-empowered people. Lead us today for the things that are in your heart, oh God. And then we can pray, Lord, empower us. Give us the gifts that we need at the moment to fulfill your call. If you were with us, uh, we were talking about spiritual gifts Fridays a couple of weeks ago. Give us the gift that we need at the moment to reach the task at hand. If that would be a part of our morning prayer, Lord, position me. Be intentional with my life and put me in a place where I can serve someone. Give me the discernment to know what's right, what's your will, what's genuine, and what's not genuine. Give me the passion that's in your heart, oh God, and empower me with the gift and the commitment to fulfill the task at hand. And we would walk away from there meeting the needs of our community. And our community is our community, our neighborhood, our homes, our churches, our workplaces, our family. We would leave there meeting that need. How many want to meet the needs of those in their community? Let, us, let this be a part of our prayer. And the church says, so we're talking about a spirit-empowered church. What can we learn from the church, the first century church in Acts chapter 6, we can learn that they met the needs of the people. Number two, a spirit-empowered church has spirit-filled leaders. I love that among the people, there were spirit-filled leaders. Uh, that the people said, you know, we want him and we want him, we want him, and today it's we want her and we want her and we want them. Oh, we want them to help lead us. In our season. Verse 3 says, Brothers, pick from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this day. And the apostles ratified that appointment. And they found Spirit-filled leaders to serve the widows. I want to remind you today that the church needs, as a holistic church, and individually as well, we need Spirit-filled leaders not spirit-filled only pastors or trustees or deacons, but we need spirit-filled deacons. We need spirit-filled trustees. But we need spirit-filled ushers. We need spirit-filled um, um, singers and, and musicians. Our, our people serving upstairs need to be spirit-filled. Our Sunday school children, our Sunday school teachers for our children need to be spirit-filled. For our youth, they need to be spirit-filled. Our parking lot attendees. They need to be spirit-filled because some of you are giving them a hard time. Some of you are giving them a hard time, and if it's not for the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, they're going to lose it. That's a side note for you to be nice to them and to submit to whatever they ask. And the church says, 
We need spirit-filled people. The church needs spirit. I want to encourage you not to just be a church attendee, but I want to encourage you to be spirit-filled in the service of the Lord. And if you are serving in our church at any level, at any level, whether it's parking lot ushers, whether it's security, whether it's uh, children or, or teaching, whatever, then I, I would hope that you would take the responsibility to understand that this is a God-sent assignment and that we would not do it in our natural gifting, but we would do it spirit-filled. Well, you know, gifted people are wonderful, but spirit-filled people are better. I want to encourage you, right? A commissioned church needs spirit-filled people. Without spirit-filled leaders, we're just gifted people. And there's gifted people in the world. Without spirit-filled leaders, we're just gifted people. And when we function in our own gifting and not the spirit of God, we see things that begin to identify those people. Can I share with you a few things that we will see? A few things that we will see. When, when we're functioning in our gifting and not spirit-filled, we'll hear people like that say, why don't they give me more opportunity? Because they're functioning, they're thinking of their own gifting. I'm the best at this. They should let me do it. Achieving goals becomes their priority. Excellence becomes their priority. And I believe in a ministry of excellence, but it cannot be our priority. But excellence becomes their priority. To shine bright becomes their priority. When people function in their own gifting, they lack patience with others that are not as gifted as they are. Because they expect a certain, and they, they, they don't remember that this has to do with spirit empowerment to lead people, be patient with people, and let people grow in their place. And people who function in their gifts are people that are complaining all the time. They're just complainers. They're functioning in the natural, and they just complain and complain and complain. But a spirit-filled leader understands that there's an opportunity and a time to make things better and a time to give your opinion, and a time to encourage. But we must be spiritual leaders. And the church says, without spiritual leaders, there's no power. There's no move of God. There's no life changing. It's, it, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a letter of the law. But there's no spirit of the law. There's just a letter of the law. There's no spirit, right? Without spiritual leaders, there's no power. There's, there's, there's no life changing. We're just religious. Without spiritual leaders, there's no spiritual wisdom. There's no discernment. There's, there's no, Lord, uh, uh, understanding the will of God at this moment, at this time, for, for this circumstance. Without spiritual leaders, there's no God-given vision. We're just day-to-day, day-to-day, managing day-to-day, managing every meeting, every rehearsal, every sermon, every teaching. We're just managing day-to-day. We're just functioning in our gifts. And when we are not spirit-filled leaders, we're just thinking of today and not seeing what God wants to do tomorrow. Just there. And, and when we are functioning in our gifts, it usually takes us, and not the spirit, it usually takes us to a place of burnout. Because we, we, we're, we're only on adrenaline. We're only on a journal in, and that keeps us because of our gifting. I, I can keep a, a class going on my own gifting for a while, but once I can't do it no more because I'm frustrated and tired, I feel burnt out because I've been doing it on my own gifting. But a spirit-empowered church, a spirit-empowered leader, understand that, that the spirit of God will give us the strength that we need even in the hardest moments. And the church says, 
the reflection of a spirit-filled leader. What is it that we can identify in a spirit-filled leader? Five things really quickly, that we're going to see them on the screen, that we can identify in a spirit-filled leader. One, a spirit-filled leader leads others in sanctification. A spirit-filled leader leads others in, in sanctification. When God's spirit is in control of our lives and leadership, there is a noticeable direction away from sin, both privately and publicly, at home and at church. So spiritual leaders will lead their people away from sin. And I want to say, if in any time Pastor Becky and I have failed you in any way, I want you to know that you could always approach us and you could always hold us accountable. You could always ask any question you want. We will love you for, for any question that you may have. And you may, but why this or why that? Because sometimes there's gray areas in the church that are different from things that we didn't do or didn't know or didn't how, and it throws confusion at times. And, and it, it, at times we don't, and we're like, well, what's happening here? And, and we need clarification. And I want you to know that Pastor Becky and I will always, and all our pastors are always available to sit with a, with a heart of love and transparency. And if we fail you at something, we will take responsibility for that as well. Because we understand that a spiritual leader is responsible to lead others towards the sanctification. If you have a, a call in your life to be a leader and you're a leader of the church, you're called to a higher standard. And that's why we must observe the way that we live and, and guard ourselves and watch ourselves. Why? Because we never want to mislead anybody. And the church says, a spiritual leader is patient with others. Patient with others. Understanding that no one is perfect. People come from different places and are, and, and are at different places in their lives and and we need to understand that we're patient with them. You know, I remember you come to church and you came to church and you received Jesus. The next day you better look completely different. <laughs> and if you didn't look completely different, you didn't do it right. We're patient with people. And when somebody makes a bad choice, we don't take the, the ax out and condemn them. No, we, we're patient with them. We remember that if it wasn't for the patience of Christ over our lives, we would be lost. And now that we've had maybe a little ministerial success, it doesn't give us the right to judge anybody harshly. Uh, you know, with the measure that we use to judge someone else will be the measure that we are used to judge ourselves. Um, today is them, but tomorrow it could be us. A, a, a story, quick story, years ago, somebody in the church didn't do, made a bad choice, and a person, a leader came to me and said to me, I was young, I was just a couple years in the pastorate, a leader came to me and said, Pastor, we have to take a stand. And I was like, okay, okay, you know, I'm younger. I'm trying to keep peace here, you know. And the person said, Pastor, if you don't put them on discipline, I will. I was like, this, okay. Here's where I draw the line. And I said, hey, pull it back a notch, okay? But the moral of the story is here. Six months later, that person was sitting at my desk and had made a bad choice themselves. And I said, should I, should I judge you like you judge them? Or do you want to be judged? the way I judge them. It reminds us this, that we are patient with people. Spirit-filled leaders are patient with people, understanding that we're all in our process. That doesn't give us an open door to live crazy, but it reminds us to counsel in wisdom. As, this, as the Lord has been with us, we are with others. And the church says, a spiritual leader is gracious in trials. A peaceful, gracious, and, and strong spirit through the most difficult times comes 
from a supernatural power, which is the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, man, we will, we will fall away. We will fall away in hard times. But a, a spirit-empowered leader is gracious and trying to understand, man, I'm going through this right now, but the Lord is helping me. I'm going through this, but the Lord is leading me and guiding me and giving me the strength to go forward. I don't need to fall apart because of this. If God is for me, who can be against me? A spirit-filled leader understands he's gracious in trial. Number four, a spirit-filled leader maintains spiritual priorities in all times. Man, we are seeking the Lord, seeking the guidance of the Spirit in our spiritual disciplines, focused on the call of God on our lives, faithful to our spouses and our children, and guarding our home and, and making sure that it's a sanctuary for the presence of the Lord. Why? Because spiritual leaders maintain spiritual priorities. And a spiritual leader is Jesus-focused. We're not focused on numbers. We're not focused on our own ministries. We're not focused on ourselves. We are Jesus-focused. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. It all starts with him, and it all ends with him. We are Jesus-focused. And the church says, the church today needs to be spirit-filled. The only way we can be faithful to the Great Commission is through the leading of the Holy Spirit. But we need to give attention to our spiritual growth. Each and every one of us need to give attention to our spiritual growth. We need to be intentional. Intentional. The Bible says to be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. Be confident of this. God is doing a good work in you. The Bible teaches us that he's taking us from one level of glory to another level of glory. Be confident of this, that we could approach the throne of grace with confidence to find mercy and grace for the opportune moment. We could be confident of this, that God is doing the work, but we must be intentional. What are you doing intentionally to make sure that you're growing in your walk with God? What are you doing? There needs to be a plan. If we have no plan, we're doing nothing. If, if it's just Sunday church, then that's not enough. How are we intentionally making sure that we're growing and that we are each day nurturing a spirit-filled life? I love some of the posts of some of you. I see your Bible verses, and I try to encourage you. I love it. Keep doing it. I think it's important. Share it with others because you're going to encourage somebody by doing it yourself. Right? We need to be intentional in this, focused on our spiritual growth. We need to evaluate our lives. How am I doing? I love that the psalmist says, seek me, O Lord. He says, search me, O God. And then he says, test me to see if there's anything corrupt within me. Evaluate ourselves and see what is it that God wants to change? What is it that God wants to do in our lives? And the church says. So we're talking about a spirit-empowered church. A spirit-empowered church responds to need. A spirit-empowered church has spirit-filled leaders. Number three, a spirit-empowered church must be ready to make changes. We must be ready. Right here there was a need. The disciples have been leading and they said we can't do this no more. Let's make a change. Let's bring new leaders into the fold here. Pick seven of you that you will lead in this time of need. They made changes. We know that before that moment the apostles had done it all but they recognized there was a need because growth brings need and we need to respond to the need and responding to the need helps us make changes. ECC throughout the years have made some changes, right? If anything, the pandemic, the pandemic showed us we need to be ready to make changes. 
We used to do three services. If you were here at that time, you remember, we used to register. We started doing like 50 people in every service, and 75 people in every service, and 100 people in every service, and 125 people in every service. And we were doing three services. Kingsley was there, Pastor Kingsley there, three services. <laughs> at the end of the third service, I was see. You know? But he did it because there was a need. And the church is called to respond to the need. Right? We have to remember, you know, years ago, we used to have midweek service on Fridays. And we used to have worship, and then we used to have some type of midweek service. And I was just looking and said, this is not working. We need to change. And we talked about connect groups and classes, and we would no longer do worship. We'll go right into classes. A few people were like, what? We're going to church and no worship? No worship. We're going to go right into classes. We're going to do this. It's going to be time of fellowship. We're going to have coffee, et cetera. People were like, how can we go to church and not have worship? It was a change. Today, Friday nights, if you're not here on Friday, you're missing it. It's booming Friday nights. It's, it's my favorite ministerial day of the week to see the kids and the youth and the adults, everybody studying the scripture, everybody reading the scripture, everybody sharing about the scripture. Uh, how many know that growth comes through the reading of the word, right? And, and to see that man encourages me so much. Pastor Becky and I and all our pastors, we leave so encouraged on Friday because we see the people hungry for God's word. You see, sometimes we need to make changes for the next thing, you know? Uh, God has shown us through these years that there's gonna be changes. Are, are we ready? For new changes, you know, what if God calls us for third service to do it again, Pastor King? <laughs> are we ready? Are we ready for that? Are we, are we ready to, to believe God for the next? Are we, ready to, are we ready to believe God for changes? Changes can be scary at times, but you know, unfortunately, if you know a little bit about church history over the last 30 years, there has been times where churches had not wanted to make changes. It has affected the ministry of the church. Years ago, Pastor Del Valle, our pastor, and many times he watches our service, I hope he's watching it. He approached me in, in, in the fall of 1997, and he said, hey, I think our church needs an English service. And I was the co-pastor. And he says, w would you lead that English service? And we started an English service January of 1998 that, that we, we led and we started. And it was a small group of people. And sometimes I didn't have nobody to sing. And I used to just, somebody walk in, I'd be like, hey, could you sing? <laughs> because it was, it was one. And we'd be like, there is power, power, wonder working. Power. That's all that we have. But, you know, here we are today. Because Pastor Del Valle, he had a vision to reach our second and third generation of Hispanics that we dominate the English language. And, and he had a vision. He said, if we don't make these changes, when Carlos's generation gets a little older, they're probably going to leave to an English-speaking church because we're not meeting their needs. Are you ready for changes? The Spirit-empowered church understands that it will need to make changes. And we have to respond. What if the Lord tells us it's time to build again? In 16 years, we've built, we've, have built twice. And I say, Lord, I don't want to be disobedient, but those, those were tough seasons, right? <laughs> but what if he says it's time to do it again? Are we ready for change? I want to just encourage you with this word. And I want to let you know as a church, God is calling us to be spirit-empowered, not just holistically, not collectively, but, but individually. And sometimes that may bring 
a change. And if the Lord is doing it, it's okay. And the church says, I realize I need to finish. Number four, a spirit-empowered church will continue to grow. Verse 7 tells us the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Conversion happens when God's word is preached with anointing and accuracy. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When we look at the church of Acts chapter 6, they grew in number. Thousands were being added to the church. They grew in need. Workers, communities, widows. They grew in leaders, not just the 12, not just the 120, but now there were thousands of people. They grew in vision. It wasn't no more just about Jerusalem, but now it was about Samaria and Judea and the ends of the earth. And they grew in faith. They trusted God for the impossible. They trusted God for the impossible. The Spirit-empowered church will continue to grow. I want to encourage you to believe God for growth upon your life, upon your family, upon your, your home, and upon our church as well. Right? But with growth comes challenges, and we need to respond. But I love that they grew in faith. They believed God for the impossible. They believed God for the impossible. How many know that he is the God of the impossible? And nothing is impossible for him. What you cannot do, he will do through you. I love the verse in Timothy that says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. It's a reminder to us that although fear is part of our natural nature, it's part of our sinful nature, and fear will at times try to take its hold within us, but that fear, though it is part of who we are, does not come from God. What comes from God is power, love, and a sound mind. And power is dunamis, to do what we cannot do on our own. He gives us to us. Let's be ready. A spirit-empowered church will continue to grow. Do we want to be a part of a spirit-empowered church? We must embrace, embrace growth. True story. When I first started pastoring, when Becky and I first started pastoring, the church was, was smaller. And uh, in, in our services, uh, they weren't as full. And you could probably sit in the back, and nobody was really sitting next to you. And I had this man who was sitting back there, and it was in the Spanish service. And then I noticed church was growing a little bit. I saw him sitting upstairs. And then the church was growing a little bit. A few people were growing upstairs. And one day he comes to me, and he goes, Pastor, I'm, I'm going to leave ECC. I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, um, is everything okay? Why? He was, you know, I used to sit back there alone and I liked it. And I, you know, I went upstairs alone because some people were sitting next to me. I liked being alone. Now people want to sit upstairs too. I'm going to another church. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I can't help you here. <laughs> Vete con Dios. You know, I mean, well, this is where we are. Um, you know, we must be ready to embrace. We must be ready to embrace the next thing that God is calling for. And uh, Spirit-empowered church will continue to grow. I need to finish. Last point. A Spirit-empowered church preaches Jesus. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to be preached. A Spirit-empowered church will preach Jesus. You know, I, I love the seven laws to a successful marriage and seven ways to grow in your leadership and all those things are, are wonderful I love uh, teachings like that and we participate in them and we share them but ultimately we must we must preach Jesus 
If you read the book of Acts, every time the apostles got up after the day of Pentecost, when they started to preach, they preached an exegetical sermon about Jesus. They would confirm it with the prophets in the Old Testament, and then they would talk about Jesus who came from the Father, and you uh, uh, crucified him, but in the third day, he resurrected, and, and they, they preached Jesus. A spirit-empowered church preaches, preaches Jesus. That it would never, that this altar would never lack a, a Christological sermon. It would never lack the sermon, the sermon of Jesus. That Jesus is sent by the Father. That he is the salvation for all people. There is no other way to get to the Father if not through the Son, Jesus. He was sent by the Father. Jesus, he is the Savior of the world. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. His ministry is a healing ministry. It heals broken homes. It heals broken hearts. It heals bodies. It restores people. Jesus is a healer, and he has healing for you and for your family and for your community, and that this would never lack from the altar of the church. That Jesus is our healer. And maybe you're here today and you, you got here and you're struggling and, and you feel like there's some brokenness that, that needs to be mended and you're struggling in your home and your family and you're, you're seeing some things in your children that you don't like. I want to remind you that Jesus not only saves, but he heals. That Jesus died and resurrected and there's none other like him. None other like him, that he emptied himself, is what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. And he took on the role of a servant. Hallelujah. He who was rich became poor, so that you and I who are poor, we can become rich. There is none like him. He is our Savior. And he came and he wrapped himself up in flesh, incarnation. And for 33 and a half years, he uh, led here on the earth as, as the son of man. And he was crucified. And three days later, he resurrected, no longer as the son of man, but as the son of God. Hallelujah. And, and he appeared and reappeared for 40 days. And after 40 days, he ascended to heaven. And the angel said, the same way he ascended one day, he will descend again. And our sermon today is that Jesus saves, that Jesus heals, that Jesus died and resurrected, that Jesus baptizes with his spirit. Because after he ascended, 10 days later, he sent the Holy Spirit that baptized us with his spirit and brought in an empowerment and a, a filling that today leads us in all that has been entrusted to us. It is the message of Jesus. And not only... Did he come? Does he heal? Did he die? Resurrected? Ascended? Baptized us? But he's coming again. The Bible says that the trumpet will sound one day. And the church will be, will be raised, raptured. Uh, the dead in Christ first. And then the rest of us will find ourselves together in the clouds. And we will celebrate eternity together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is the message that the Spirit-empowered church preaches. To remember that it's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. And the church says, Amen.
So as I close our teaching this morning, I want to encourage you to identify a spirit-empowered church, but also to ask the question, how can I partake? How can I be a part of a spirit-empowered church? What can I do? What can I do? How, how, how can I apply this to my life? How can my Sunday change my Monday? How does this alter my prayer time? Uh, how does this awaken something within my heart? Uh, how does this uh, stir something up within me that hasn't been there before? Something that is dead can come to life. That, that we would pray, Lord, teach us to be spirit empowered, to live in this filling of your spirit. And if someone would ask, well, what can I do daily, daily? You can go back to that sermon that I preached January chapter January 14th where I talked about the attributes of the church that was in the upper room. They had five attributes. They were praying church, a consecrated church, a unit, unit a, un, a church of unity, a church of perseverance, and an available church. And it was an opportunity for them to be filled with the Spirit of God. So I want to encourage you today. Embrace the spirit of Pentecost over your life as a spirit-empowered church. And the church says, if you received the teaching this morning, can you give God a hand clap? Hallelujah. 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 Would you join me by standing this morning? Perhaps there's someone here today who the Lord is speaking to you to move away from casual Christianity and into a life of being spirit-filled and letting in change all that God is doing in you right now that makes you available to respond to need. It makes you available to be spirit-filled as a leader. It makes you available to understand change and to continue to grow to remember Jesus. If you are here today and the Lord has ministered to you and you would like prayer, the altar is open. If you're visiting us here today and God is speaking to you and you feel like you're far from God but He is stirring something up in you and He's drawing you closer to Him and you want to make a new covenant or you want a new commitment and say, God, I, I need you more. As we sing this next song, the altar is open for anyone who says, that's me. I want to respond and I want to be prayed for. Maybe you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus. Or maybe you knew him, but you're far from him. And you need to make a new covenant to come to know him and be ready the day the trumpet sounds. If you're here today and you need to be reconciled to the Lord or you need to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today is the day of salvation. Don't leave the way you've come in. No. I promise you with Jesus, your future days will be better than your past days. If you would like prayer, the altar is open. Father, we thank you for this time and your word. We pray, Lord God, that we would apply it to our life today, that our Sunday would change our Monday. We pray in Jesus' name.
blesses and encourages your life. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that it blesses and encourages your life.